0: Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order.
1: Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, I have a special guest, Courtney Wheaton. I met Courtney because she comes to my clinic for acupuncture, and she has quite a story to tell. Courtney, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you, Michael. It's so nice to be here.
1: Yeah, I remember we had a conversation in clinic the other day, and you were talking about some things that you've learned and some things that you're very excited about with with your health, with some things that you've learned, with some lifestyle changes that you've discovered that you just want a lot of people to know about.
2: Well, absolutely. It's, uh, I think it's that sort of basic human need when you find something that is working for you or you're jazzed about, you sort of become uh, a little bit of an evangelist, you know, and uh, so I was really grateful for the opportunity to uh, for you to have me on the show so that I could maybe, you know, say a little about what's been going on with me and maybe point some people in a, in a new direction.
1: Great. Tell us what's going on for you, and, and, and why don't we begin with what brought you in? What's been going on with you these past few years?
2: Yeah, I was, um, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2008. I was active duty Air Force and um, basically had two, two big events over the course of a couple of years that led to that diagnosis, uh, left side facial numbness uh, brought on by strep throat and an inflamed facial nerve. And then about a year and a half later, almost two years later, I had my primary event, which was complete and total left side body numbness, like from neck to toes, the entire left side of my body went numb. That would get your attention, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it really does, especially, I mean, I, I remember it very clearly. It was a, a Saturday and I was walking off of a curb outside of Walmart in Idaho where I was stationed. And I just got this electrified shooting pain that went up my spine. And I thought, eh, that was weird. You know, a little twinge. Okay, that's odd. And then later on that night, I noticed that my body had gone numb. And I thought, oh, it's just a pinched nerve. I just need a chiropractic consult. That's all. I just pinched something, you
1: know. Uh, Most of us would want to think, well, most of us would want to think something like that first, right? Yeah, absolutely.
2: That's pretty normal. Yeah. So of course, like an idiot, I wait till Monday uh, to call sick call, which is the military sort of, uh, you know, you try to get a same day appointment at the clinic. And they freak out and they're like, oh my God, you've had a stroke. You have to come in, get to the emergency room. And I'm like, I haven't had a stroke. I just need a chiropractic consult. And um, that set off a pretty uh, intense couple of weeks of um, testing. They'd ruled out Bell's palsy, uh, they'd ruled out Lyme disease and then the doctor started using the MS word
0: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, yeah, I ended up in uh, death by MRI for about six hours, I think. And then I fi- got my final diagnosis with a spinal tap, mm-hmm. which there's these little band things that show up in your spinal fluid. And that was my definitive diagnosis.
1: Yeah. That that's the definitive diagnosis for that, as I recall.
2: It is. Yeah. I don't. I can never pronounce them. They're these little O-band things. And uh, so, yeah, that was a a real shock to my system. Uh, I was actually getting ready to go back to Afghanistan. And uh, it took me a while to figure out that both of my episodes actually occurred in the process of Mm. Uh, (laughs) pre-deployment.
1: So you spent time deployed with MS.
2: Yes, unbeknownst to me at the time i that was after my first event uh the doctors treated it with steroids. They made it sound like it was just a a minor nerve flare up caused by a a case of strep throat. Here's your steroids, get back to work
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh and you know, and I was fine for for quite a while, but it upon reflection noticed that there were certain stressors that were going on in conjunction with uh the annual flu vaccination season, you know, so there was all these little things that were going on that seemed to have contributed possibly to triggering some things, so.
1: So once you had that diagnosis, how did you proceed with treatment? What did you do?
2: I was, uh, and I will say I was very, very lucky. Doctors diagnosed me incredibly quickly. They, They didn't hem and haw about running tests. It was a very speedy diagnosis, probably from, you know, within a month. I knew you have MS, and I was put on Copaxone, mm-hmm. which is one of the uh, most common in, of the injectable drugs. Everybody, most people are on. If you're on medication, it's usually something you have to inject, and that's a daily shot. And then I was uh, promptly exited from the from the military and sent on my way.
1: Mm-hmm. So medical discharge.
2: Medical discharge. I was retired, and. Uh, I think, it, you know, you just start focusing on day-to-day life. I had to try to regroup from, okay, my career as I knew it was over. Uh, I had to move, relocate, find a new job. And, you know, so all of that stuff. And me, I'm just, you know, doing my shots every day, you know, doing my shots and uh, just trying to struggle with life. So at the time, I wasn't really pursuing uh, alternative therapies as extensively as I have done in the last few years What took you to those alternative therapies? Chronic fatigue, (laughs) which is the bane of my existence. Um, I'm very lucky in that I've probably had this disease seven, eight, nine years, you know, depending on how long it took to kind of percolate in my system and, and come up. Chronic fatigue, by far, has been my worst symptom. It is debilitating. And I I used to kind of poke fun at people that I heard that had that. I was like, oh, really? How tired could you be? Mm. Until it happened to me. And I was like, oh, oh, that tired. That's a whole lot of tired. And uh, yeah, I was pretty lucky. I I only had a few minor relapses a year. And that would always involve my left side of my body.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was tingles, numbness. Um, One of the weirdest things with MS is... As opposed to what normal people go through, you know, if your arm falls asleep because you laid on it wrong, you don't have to worry that that's going to last for the next month. And so, yeah, you become sort of really attuned to every kind of twinge and tingle and, you know, what's going on. And
1: yeah, you sort of get a hypervigilant nervous system.
2: Oh, yeah, you're always attuned. Is that a flare up? Because you have no control or at least you feel like you don't have any control over what's happening. All of a sudden, you know, you don't know why, you don't know how, your body has started to eat your central nervous system. Mm. And it creates a lot of fear and a lot of anger because you don't have any answers for why or how. And, And that becomes very frustrating. And so there's a huge sort of depression kind of component that kind of gets layered in with it because you're so tired, things seem kind of hopeless. And you just, you're just you just working so hard to be able to get to work or get the dishes done, you know, that it's really hard to focus on anything outside of what's right in front of you because you're so tired. And that's, that's all the energy you have is to focus on, can I get the laundry in the dryer? Something
1: must have sparked in you to look outside and start doing something.
2: Yeah, it, it really did. Um, I think it started with massage therapy. feeling Just feeling overwhelmingly stressed all the time, I think, was a huge. And this took years. You know, I, I functioned, and I will use the word functioned.
3: Mm.
2: As like a lowest common denominator, I functioned on conventional therapy. I took a drug called Provigil, which is actually an anti-narcolepsy medicine uh, that's billed for chronic fatigue. Mm-hmm. And so that got me through several years, but I would always have a crash day. Like, it would kind of pump me up enough where I could go to work, come home, maybe make dinner. and uh, But then about every pay period, I would have to take the day off because I would just sort of wake up and go, Oh, I have MS today. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So there was – it would kind of push you through, but you'd still have to make that time up, so to speak.
2: Absolutely. And it would involve a lot of sleeping, laying in bed, just needing that downtime, even though I wasn't exerting myself, but even just going to work was an exertion, you know. Uh, So I started with massage therapy, and I found a really good therapist, and I went probably every couple of weeks for at least a year or two, you know, just trying to get some stress taken out of my body. And I was still having relapses, but nothing major. And I just sort of was like, oh, that's that's a nice little bump. Mm -hmm. I wasn't better, but it... It made me feel, it took care of some stress, which I needed.
1: Did it help with the downtime that you needed, or it it just made the times in between a little better?
2: It made the times in between a little better. I was still requiring that catch-up period. And even though ProVigil and medications like that don't, it's not like speed or anything. You're not super peppy. It was just, I wouldn't be as tired. But there was still going to be a, I knew there was a price to pay. For being able to go to work for for eight days in a row, you know. So, but I, I would say that the the big sort of kickoff that really uh, changed things was. Um, now let me let me back up just for a second. Along this this way, I, I was doing things that didn't involve a whole lot of effort. You know, massage therapy was easy. I could just go pay somebody to do it. You know, I looked at. Um, you know, fluoride filters for the house, heavy metal toxin detoxes, green smoothies, Reiki, energy healing, you know, all of those things that didn't actually involve a lifestyle change on my part.
1: Uh, Kind of passive in a way.
2: Very much. I knew I wanted to, that I could probably seek some relief in the alternative therapy realm, but I wasn't ready to make any sort of big changes. And I, I kind of knew in the back of my mind that eventually diet was going to have to come in there. And I was not ready to do that. That was like, no, no, no. So what can we do that doesn't involve a whole lot of effort?
1: Yeah, well, that's, I think that's a pretty common thing. And when it comes to things like diet in particular, I don't know anyone that really joyfully goes forth and says, I'm going to change my diet. No, we don't want to change our diet. We like our diet. That's why it's the diet we have.
2: Absolutely. And in my case, you know, um it was a coping mechanism, mm. you know. I was a, a carb junkie, and carbs are easy. And when you're tired after a day of work, nothing says dinner like like a box of mac and cheese, you know. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was that was my lifestyle, and I wasn't prepared to do anything about that. So, what changed for you? What
1: made you flip from doing a few passive things? To kind of put, dare I say, put some skin in the game.
2: Absolutely, that's a that's a great way to describe it, and it's it's going to sound weird, but uh, past life regression hypnotherapy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and I, I will I will use that as sort of a a model for any kind of emotional therapy that might give you some perspective on on your life. Right. For me, because I'm a a reincarnation kind of girl, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: uh, I had this amazing weekend out in Kansas City, and um, even though I wasn't able to glean a whole lot uh, detail-wise, I was able to get enough about, you know, my potential past life experience that really reflected A lot of the challenges and issues that I was facing in this lifetime, and it kind of – it just put this lens on everything and it made it so clear like, oh, that's why that happened or that's why you had that reaction to something and that's kind of the way that I was. And so that really opened my mind up um, of looking at the kind of person that I was and the situations that I had sort of been – the patterns – that that had repeated in my life. And that was a great framework for me to be able to start looking at how I was living. And maybe how I was living might have contributed to my condition, not to say caused it, right, but might have because of my personality might have laid the foundation for MS
1: kind of doing a little uh, inventory and housekeeping, it sounds like.
2: Oh, absolutely, because I would, I would really be curious if we could kind of do a survey on what the basic personality type of someone who gets a disease like this, because...
1: That's a great question. Isn't it? Have you got some ideas just, I mean, based on an N of one study, namely you, or maybe some people you know?
2: I think a lot of it has to do with um, perfectionism. Um, I was a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, go-go person. I did not stop. If I had a project, if it took me 16 hours to do, I would muscle through and do it. Um, I drank too much, smoked too much, partied too much, worked too hard. I never listened to my body, just fueled with Mountain Dew and a desire to succeed. Ah. And you
1: you got a head of red hair, too. Oh, my God. yes. (laughs) Yes. Hell on wheels.
2: Oh, yeah. And I was very much a, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself kind of person. Mm. And this disease is sort of tailor-made for a person like me because it made me stop.
1: Oh boy, did it. It just stopped you right in your tracks. Yeah. Hey baby, take a look here.
2: Yeah. You don't want to listen? Fine. You are going to feel like death for the next seven to eight years on the sofa and we're going to give you time to think.
1: That's what it took to get your attention.
2: It did, yeah. Yeah. So I would be really curious if other people with these kind of diseases maybe have a similar alpha, you know, kind of personality that takes on too much and, and burns your candle at both ends till there's absolutely nothing left. And so with that kind of realization that, oh, this is trying to teach me something, uh, and yeah,
1: so switching it up
2: yeah and and I think that's really important is to to take whatever horrible, nasty thing is happening and kind of flip it around and go, "Is there something positive that i've that I've gotten from this experience?" and I had to come to the conclusion that there was. I was able to be uh, much more conscious of my body. I had to listen to it. I had to start taking better care of it. And I had to learn in my interactions with people how to kind of be selfish about my health in a way that I'd never thought of before. Um, Things like uh, not sharing a bed with a partner, which throws a lot of people off because I need my sleep.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And that is critical. So I don't care if you don't think it's romantic. I don't think it's romantic to wake up in the middle of the night with a knee in my back. So, you know, I, you got to make those decisions of, okay, this is important. What's a priority.
1: It sounds like you get really clear about what's good for you and what's not good for you.
2: I think you have to be, because you you start to, I think it's important to start paying attention to when you have those symptoms and, um, even with a disease like this, you still want to stay up late. You still want to go out for pizza. You still want to drink too much. You still want to do all those things that your friends are doing or that seem normal. You know, but those people have a buffer. They have a, something in reserve, whereas you don't.
1: No, you don't. And, and if you look at what's actually going on physiologically, the coating, the insulation on your nerves is coming off. right. You don't, you literally physiologically don't have a buffer.
2: No, there's no insulation.
1: There's no insulation.
2: So, yeah, I started having to, you know, and I, I, I had ended relationships with people that I cared for very much because they were putting pressure on me to, to act in a, a way that wasn't beneficial to my health. You know, and I think it's important to start looking at a healthy sense of selfishness and realizing that, no, I need to go to bed. I need to sleep, I need to eat these kinds of foods, and and to not have to apologize for it. And um, I think, especially for women... And
1: the disease hits women more.
2: More frequently, yes. Yeah. And I think because we have this sort of caregiver nature, and the desire to oftentimes put everybody else's needs in front of our own, that learning to be selfish can be very good for you. Mm. uh, Because... You're not going to be able to take care of anybody if you were in a wheelchair, you know.
1: <laughs> True enough. Yeah. So after starting some of this interest, let's call it introspective work, what yeah. happened next?
2: Then I think I moseyed into your office, ah. and I was looking for because I'd, like I said, I'd kind of. I knew I liked the body work stuff. You know, um, I'd had some nice energy work done, some Reiki, massage therapy. And I was like, you know, I think it's time to try acupuncture and kind of see if, that, if that's something that I could get some relief from. And that just rocked my world.
1: Tell us about that.
2: It was amazing. I, I think I went the first time uh, you had a Groupon. And so I was like, cool, sweet, coupon. Oh,
1: boy, that was a while ago. I'd first gotten to St. Louis. Oh, boy. Yeah, Yeah. you had a Groupon. That's back when Groupon was cool.
2: I know. It's kind of passe now, but yeah. Um, So, yeah, I wandered in there on my birthday. So, yeah, I wandered in, um, had a great session. And I think the thing that impressed me the most, and this was my first time with any kind of Chinese medicine, was the thoroughness with which you talked to me.
3: Hmm.
1: Tell us more about that. What do you mean thoroughness?
2: I've, you know, I've switched doctors, I've moved around a lot. I've I've never had somebody take such an active interest in what was going on with me and to treat anything and everything I said with respect. You know, and I, I come at a lot of this stuff more sort of from an ayurvedic or a chakra kind of, you know, I've I've dabbled in a lot of different sort of spiritual realms and and I do believe that those things can have an effect on the body and so I would you know be describing things to you and, and you're like okay yeah that that makes sense and so it was just I think we talked for probably 45 minutes I think before you even got me on the table
1: Probably that's usually yeah. the way I work.
2: And that was just so respectful to to have somebody actually look like they cared and it wasn't just about getting the next patient in and took my concerns seriously I thought was was really remarkable and just sort of opened the door. And It was a little while before I decided to come back, but once I – and I I don't know why I waited. But I think it was, you know, once I made that decision that, you know, that was really nice and I liked it. And, yeah, I decided to commit to to making it part of my my health plan. And Mm -hmm. because that feeling when you're on the table – floating in that sort of ether, that's a very healing space, you know, and I, I kind of got addicted to that, just the float. It's like, oh, you know, it's amazing. Well,
1: a lot of people, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the float? A lot. Um, I think a lot of listeners who haven't had acupuncture, all they can think about is, oh my God, there's needles in my body. I, this, how freaky. It, I'm going to be uncomfortable. Uh, will this hurry up and end? Most people don't have that experience on the table. Tell us a little bit more about about what happens when you're laying there with needles.
2: Well, number one, it was I, I'm i lucky in that I was not intimidated by the needle factor because I've been sticking myself with needles every day for <laughs> seven years. Yeah, and, and not using that little crappy auto-injector pen that they give you because that causes huge reactions. So I actually had to switch to doing them manually. So... Needle, schmeedle. I was not concerned about that because I figured there's no way it could hurt as bad as my shots do when I inadvertently hit the muscle because that was a pain that nobody should have to experience. So I wasn't concerned about the needles. But once they go in, I remember my first session very, very clearly, and I could just feel this sort of electrical buzz sort of zipping around my body. It was this hum. And you put the heat lamp on my belly, and then there is this calmness that sets over. And I remember my first session thinking, I can't feel my arms. And I was like, not because they had gone like numb, but they had just sort of floated away. And I felt like if I, if I concentrated very hard, I could probably move a finger, but why bother? <laughs> just relax. Yeah,
1: it's a deep stillness.
2: It is. And I had never felt, even with meditation and things like that, I would never reached that sort of calm center. And it's this sort of space where you hover between sleep and being awake. And it's just so peaceful and relaxing and your body just sort of melts away. And your brain just sort of floats. And it is, it's the best hour of my month. <laughs> I live for that hour. You know, I love it.
1: It's a nice reaction, isn't it?
2: It is. It really is. And the thing that it did was it it got rid of my day-to-day stress. Uh-huh. It got rid of that surface stuff. And so that's where the 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 emotional realm was able to take over because I was the acupuncture was taking care of my day-to-day just mucky stress stuff. And you know, I I've been I've made emergency appointments with you where I called and I'm like, okay, left arm's tingling. I'm having a relapse. I'm I'm emotional, you know, and you get me on the table and bam, my relapse stops. So because it was able to control my sort of day-to-day MS symptoms so well, I was able with the, the regression therapy and meditation and journaling to really start to unpack a lot of that emotional baggage that I had been carrying around for my entire life and slowly st- – and this is kind of in the span of over two years, really start to put those old demons to bed and not realizing that I had been carrying so much emotional weight. And that was really contributing to my fatigue. And when I was able to work through those things, write about it, whatever I needed to do, and let them go, that's when real healing, I think, started to take place and i and i got to a position where i had more mental energy that i was even able to contemplate thinking about more radical dietary changes because prior to that i wasn't able to i was like no that's too much i can do a smoothie a couple times a week but that's that's the extent of the investment that i have that i can put towards this
1: hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. So you had a lot more energy, not only in your day-to-day life, but more energy to follow this process of healing that you were taking yourself through.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it was weird because I didn't know that it was going to be like that. And uh, because I'd spent a lifetime shoving that stuff down, you know, it was tucked away. It was packed up in the basement of my soul and it didn't need to be coming up. But I noticed that it was all this stuff kept rising up. And And you went
1: down in the basement and
2: cleared house,
1: cleared house.
2: Yeah, I did a lot, lot of spring cleaning down there, and that really, really helped. So I, I think people really need to take it seriously that there can be an emotional component to disease, to ill health, not just MS, but anything. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: clearing that stuff out is painful. And I'm not saying it wasn't. It was not a barrel of monkeys. You know, there was many a night, you know, in the bathtub with a bottle of wine, going, "Why?"
1: It could have been. It could have been a barrel of howling monkeys.
2: Right. But it's got to be done. Yeah. And because I could not take how I was living before, you know, just functioning. I, it, MS had sucked the life out of me, and I wanted my life back. And that meant sort of going back to the beginning of my life and going, okay, let's deal with this stuff that we never properly dealt with as an adult with some emotional distance and some brain power behind it.
1: And the skills and heart and – Learning that comes with being an adult. Yes. That helps.
2: Yeah. So,
1: so you started getting more of this energy mm-hmm. to take your healing to another step. What was the next step?
2: I started tweaking the diet.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And being the carb lover that I am, I I think subconsciously was trying to figure out ways that I could still do this but still kind of keep my carbs. So... In my infinite wisdom, I decided— Trying to make
1: a a little deal with the universe, were you?
2: Yes, yes. So I was like, I knew—because I I come from a family of diabetics, and so I was, you know, very aware of the carb issue and the processed carbs and the sugar. You know, I was very down on sugar. Um, I'd cut out soda kind of years ago. Um, I made an exception if there was whiskey in it, but generally a no-soda (laughs) policy— Um, And so I started tinkering and going, okay, I'm from sort of ancestrally Irish, Celtic, Northern European kind of stock. I'm going to eat English food and Irish food and traditional hearty fare, you know, and I'm going to get off these processed noodles and macaroni and cheese and all that stuff. So this way I could still eat potatoes and turnips and carrots and... (laughs) But I was making meat pies, and you're still eating a very, you know, pretty heavy on the wheat front. But but it got me off the more processed stuff, and it got me in the kitchen, and it got me eating real food. Still keeping my carbs, but it was a nice transitional sort of cheat that I did, I guess.
1: Well, I don't know if it was a cheat. I guess you could say it was a cheat, but it it sounds like it gave you the ability. To switch something up, hold on to something familiar, and while you're holding on to something familiar, add in something new. Or, or in this case, leave out something, which was the boxed prepared foods.
2: Yes, no more boxed foods. And, um, and you know, and I lost some weight doing that. I felt better. Uh, I was eating my steel-cut oatmeal with bacon and butter in the morning. Oh and- baby. Oh, yeah. That's some good stuff. <laughs> People are like, bacon and oatmeal? I'm like, do not even scoff until you try the oh, heaven. Kind of, that sounds fabulous. <laughs> that is bacon and oatmeal. Um, so, yeah. So that was my transitional diet. And and it worked really well. I did that for a few months and I got my English food on and I love English food.
1: It got your ancestors healthy enough to reproduce and, and end up yes. with someone like you. So there's got to be some goodness in it. I think so. Yeah.
2: Um, and so then I think I'd started kind of looking. I'd, I'd been really curious about paleo uh, for a while. And like I said, I I had been avoiding tackling the carb issue head on. And um, I came into your office one day and a few months ago. And uh, you're like, I think you were you're kind of like, yeah, she's on the right track. And, and then you sort of slipped in that whole thing about going ketogenic. That got my ears perked. I was like, what? What's that? I haven't heard of that. So then I went and did my research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think by the next appointment, I had already rendered 10 pounds of lard. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did some research and kind of found out how really shady the, uh, the dietary recommendations were and all of that stuff. You know, read Good Calories, Bad Calories, a couple other books, just kind of got a feel for sort of the environment at the time of what the science was doing and why. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, realized that that was not scientifically evident, and I decided to go full fat.
1: Whole hog on full fat. Whole
2: hog. Yes, past the lard. Um, and I, I think I did it a slightly different way than a lot of other people do, but um, I did not have a problem with the concept of saturated animal fat. It was never something on my radar. I was more concerned about ingredients, uh, avoiding artificial sweeteners. Mm-hmm. So when I looked at, and I was a label reader, but it was I was all about the ingredients. If I couldn't pronounce it, you know, I, I've because of MS, I try to avoid aspartame oh, yeah, and good MSG. Idea. Oh yes because those are neurotoxins and excitotoxins and they hyperstimulate your nerve endings to death, you know, so...
1: And you probably found out that there's, like, at least a dozen names for MSG. They go by all kinds of different names.
2: Yes, anything with the word hydrolyzed and protein in it, usually going to be MSG, you know. So, yeah, that was my sort of focus. So I... And because I never really had a weight problem, fat was not something I was concerned about. And so... I notice in reading some of the literature, and especially people who may, might have been vegetarians, they're very reluctant to go the animal fat route.
1: Of course, and for good reason. Yes. It's, it's, it, I mean, you had a certain leap to make in your thinking and habit change, but you were fine with meat and you were fine with fat. Yeah. If you're not fine with fat and you're not fine with meat, that's a much – larger chasm to jump. And, you know, it's interesting. I think we talked about Terry Walls, the uh, physician who also has MS and and wrote the book, The Walls Protocol. Did we? Yes. We, We did. Okay. So she was vegetarian until she decided that she needed fat and she needed meat so that she could get out of her wheelchair.
2: And I think that's very evident from her protocols.
1: Oh, yeah. In fact, her most strict protocol is essentially what? It's a ketogenic diet.
2: It is. Yeah. So even she's had to see that you know um, cutting back a little bit on those things can can be helpful. and, and I you know I, I dealt with I was a vegetarian in college for a very beautiful boy. and you know I, I had done the whole animal rights thing and I was very active in that kind of researched background of, of what my food went through and when I sort of um, when I decided to eat meat again, to me, that was a no-brainer. I, I, I felt better on a meat-based diet. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, I had come to terms with the – and I completely understand the ethical reasons. I do. Um, I think if people started looking at beef as a health food, we might treat the animals better.
1: Well, in these days, especially here in the Midwest, in the St. Louis area, there's a lot of grass-fed, pasture-raised, grass-fed, grass-finished beef. These animals are humanely raised <laughs> – they live a good life as a cow. Um, a lot of the issues that we see with the feedlots and, and that sort of thing doesn't apply to a lot of the ways that farmers are raising their livestock around here these days.
2: Which is amazing. And like I said, I think if, if we started to view it as as a superfood, as a health food, that yes. um, that it would be – because right now it's a demonized industry and so there's no spotlight on it to – to treat the animals better, to make sure that that the meat itself is healthy because of the you know the omega six to omega three ratio of of cafo fed you know confined animals is so skewed.
1: Oh, it's it's incredibly skewed. You know the the grass fed animals are basically the salmon of the prairies, very high omega three fatty acids.
2: Yeah, so I think if we if we change the way we look at it, but because it's so demonized, there's no inducement for them to have to do it better, and that's what I think. We all have the ability, the technology, and the wherewithal to do it better, and that's what I think we all should be doing. And um, yeah, so I just dove in on the fats.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But you know, some people they're all about the the coconut oil and the the walnuts and the the avocado, and those are the really cozy, safe little palm oil here and there, you know, if they're feeling daring. Saturated fats that that a lot of people who transition, especially if they're coming from a vegan or a vegetarian lifestyle, those are the fats that they're comfortable with. I didn't need that.
1: You just jumped in. I did. Jumped into lard.
2: Lard, beef, tallow, duck fat, um, butter, bacon, you know, the whole (laughs) heavy whipping cream, uh, everything you could possibly hope for. And drastically cut my carbohydrates
1: So then what happened after you did that?
2: I felt amazing. Um, I'm still not, you know, I'm not 100%. I'm not 50% yet. But if you imagine, like, somebody for the last seven years or eight years trying to live everything that they needed to do in their life on a quarter of a tank of gas, that's what I've been doing. And to have even just a couple extra gallons of fuel in my system, wow, Uh, that's been amazing. And the emotional effects were something that I really wasn't expecting because I'm in a, such a good mood. Really? Yes. Like for no good reason.
1: Good mood for no reason.
2: Just because. Smiling at strangers, able to wake up, um, you know, and, and not dread going to my job, um, and just having this desire to want to take better care of myself you know i I find i've always had a hard time i shortchange myself on sleep i find myself actually able for the first time in years to follow sort of a sleep pattern I've, i've noticed i'm getting tired at about the same time every night and i'm not fighting it i'm going to bed you know i'm i just have this desire to really focus on my health that i had not had before
1: sounds like your life in some ways has sort of regulated itself into a different kind of a balance as well.
2: It it really has. I, you know, I, I still I take a lot of supplements, things of that sort, and I find myself being a lot more consistent in wanting to stick with that to to scheduling those things, to planning my meals, to making sure I have what I need because the transition from carbs on the one hand I thought was going to be a lot harder and I was really surprised that I wasn't as afraid of it. As I thought I was going to be. And I, it just started with pasta. I was like, I re, I'd realized that it had been like a month since I'd had a noodle. Hey, can I keep that rolling?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then it was, okay, the rice just sort of phased out and I upped the fat. And then the potatoes sort of phased out and I upped wow, the fat. the
1: potatoes phased out.
2: They did. I've had a couple sweet potatoes, but I have not had a white potato in at least a couple months, I think. Mm. And I'm still very early on in this journey, so it's Mm -hmm. not like I'm one of those success story people that's got, you know, buy my book, I've cured my incurable disease, and buy my vitamin supplement thing. You know, I'm very early days, but it's so encouraging um, to have that sort of reaction immediately from diet. In conjunction with the emotional work and the acupuncture, I think it's the sort of trifecta of coming at it from three different directions.
1: Yeah. You know you've uh you've taken some Chinese herbs along the way as well.
2: Oh, my herbs. Yes, lots of them.
1: <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting from the point of view of a practitioner, or I should say Chinese medicine practitioner, although you ostensibly came in with fatigue and uh MS, I don't really use those diagnoses so to speak as how do I say, a way of thinking about how I treat you. And, and I don't think any acupuncturist would because we're not so much looking at, at, I'm going to put this in quotes, disease, as we are looking at the person. What is actually going on for this person? How do they sleep? How do they digest? What's their tongue look like? Um, what do their pulses feel like? You know, kind of in a sense, who are they? And working with that, I can recall the first herbs that I gave you, very much focused, eh, from a Western point of view, we'd say on fatigue. Chinese medicine point of view, building up your yang qi. And at a certain point, something flipped. It was no longer the right formula for you. Your tongue changed, your pulse changed. And a whole different formula is, is now what came into focus. Oh, here's what she needs now. And so... In some ways, much like you found some different things that you've done with your, with your cleaning house, with really looking at your life, with making some changes, it's, it's a, a step-by-step progression, and it changes from time to time. And the thing that might be giving you solid footing in this moment, maybe in a week or a month or even a year, that's not the thing that's going to give you traction anymore. You have to kind of switch things up. That's how we see it from the Chinese medicine side. And, and it, it seems like a really clear parallel with what you've discovered in the process for yourself about what works and, and, and what's helping at any particular
2: moment. Oh, absolutely. And one of the, the key pieces of advice I would just like to offer anybody who's going through any kind of weird, debilitating you know thing is to be experimental. Um, Ah, yes. Because –
1: Yeah, give us some advice on that because it is often so difficult, number one, to go against the conventional methods, whatever they are. And number two, how to research in a way that you can call out the information that's really helpful for you because, you know, let's face it. We're all drinking from a fire hose these days with the internet.
2: Oh, absolutely. 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 And I think, I think one of the key things to think about was the fact that when it occurred to me that my neurologist is very limited in what he can do. He has a very narrow spectrum of proved, clinically trialed, authorized methods of treatment for my disease. And they're very limited. It's steroids which I don't like because they make me eat dinner like three times a day and I gain 20 pounds and they're awful. Injections, which hurt, cause fatigue, give you lumps and bumps and, and are painful and very cost prohibitive for people who don't have insurance or you know stimulants to kind of get you through your day and muscle relaxants or pain meds for the people, unfortunately, who suffer with a lot of nerve pain through MS. Um, so when you think about it, that's a very narrow window of options that they have to help me. Whereas if I become my own doctor Mm. and open it up to to alternative therapies, which I like to think of as the original therapies, I have an explosion of options that I can that I can tinker with. And not everything's gonna work. The things that worked for me might not work for somebody else. We're all built very differently. And so like I said, for me, you know, I, I focused a lot on trying to get toxins out. I was I was exposed to God knows what in the military, you know, especially in Afghanistan. There was burning trash in the air, ordnance, uh, you know, guns and just, you know, our building almost got blown up. God knows what was in that, you know. So it, there's all of these things that I was exposed to and all of the vaccines, you know. So I focused a lot on trying to mitigate vaccine exposure.
1: Right. How do you – what kind of things did you do to mitigate the toxins?
2: Um, A lot of it was – like I said, I was focused a lot on fluoride removal. I think uh, about a year ago, I got all of my fillings replaced. So all my silver, uh, mercury amalgams, I got those all removed in a very long process of expensive pain. But I feel better about it and I did notice a bump Mm -hmm. in my health. Uh, I take a volcanic mineral uh, supplement called zeolite.
1: I've heard of that.
2: Yeah. It's uh, very good for targeting – uh, heavy metal toxins in the body. It kind of starts at the worst and works its way down. And yeah,
1: there are these like spidery kinds of little molecules that grab onto the heavy yeah. metals and drag them out of your system.
2: Yeah, it kind of captures it in a little cage. So I take stuff like that. I work on my immune system, unlike conventional therapy, which focuses mostly on immune suppression. I never felt comfortable with that that the only cuz some people i mean their their ms is so bad they're put on chemotherapy meds and that just decimates their their immune system right now i'm working on building um digestive flora you know i looking into things medically in my past which could you know i i had to take um very hardcore antibiotics for 9 months because i was exposed to tuberculosis in the air force i'm wondering if that caused some liver issues so yeah, just a, a method of relaxation, meditation, journaling, I can't stress. Getting that stuff out of your head, onto the paper, for me, is is really cathartic. Like I said, I take my herbs. I'm tinkering with with different supplements, things like that, and um, trying to get moving. Yeah. And Maybe. now I actually have the energy to move, which is remarkable. I went to the gym twice last week. Cool.
1: Wonderful. I did more
2: exercise in the last week than I've done in the last five years. You know, I did four miles on the treadmill last week.
1: That's fantastic.
0: <laughs> it is. Yeah.
1: So you, it sounds like a piece of this, in addition to everything that you've been talking about, is this certain uh, indomitable spirit that keeps plugging away at it. I mean, you really have to take your, your health into your own hands.
2: I had to realize that this is the single most important thing I'm ever going to do in my life. This is it. Because if I don't have my health, what the heck is the point of anything that comes after this? And after slogging through feeling like utter dirt for seven years, having those one or two things, and that's why I think it's important to experiment because. Just even if it sounds crazy or hokey, or there's who would have thought past life regression therapy would have would have kicked off this healing process? But for me, it did. For somebody else, it might be you know uh, a vitamin supplement that just rocks their world. I take something called D ribose, which is very nice for energy. You know, that's it's it's natural. It helps, It gives me a little bump. So I wouldn't have found that if I hadn't been scouring around and just trying to pick through. But I realized that this is the single most important thing I'm going to do. And I cannot and will not turn my health over to people who can't even be bothered to spend 10 minutes in a room with me and who look at me like I'm a crackpot because I talk about my supplements or, you know, I, I've gotten such a bad experience in Western medicine by being looked at like I'm a freak that I'm like, you know what, I'm my own doctor. And... Um, One of the things that you had recommended that has just been amazing is cordyceps.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, the cordyceps is a fantastic, uh, it's a medicinal mushroom, actually. And it doesn't, uh, how do I say this? It affects the immune system to some degree, but it does so by regulating it. It's not so much boosting the immune system, and it's not so much suppressing it either. Well, it certainly doesn't suppress it. But it, it regulates it, right? We need our immune system. We, if it's too active, then you get autoimmune disease. And if it's not active enough, then you get all kinds of external pathogens coming in and, and wrecking havoc. So it's got to be tuned just right. And that's, that's one substance that seems to do it really, really well. It also is very helpful for your basic uh, – well, I'm not going to use the Chinese word. Let's just say your basic vitality. It's just, it's like a bowl of warm soup for it.
2: And I got the biggest kick. Uh, Was it two neurology appointments ago? He was asking me in a droll voice about the supplements I was taking. And I told him about cordyceps. He was like, what's that? I'm like, oh, it's a fungus that grows in a Himalayan caterpillar. And he gave me that look. And I was like, oh, and by the way, it's what they just based the new MS oral medication, Galenion. And that kind of got his attention. Mm-hmm as so and that those pills cost about $4000 a month. Uh so I was like because he at the time he was recommending that I take the new oral med. And I was like but I'm already taking the primary ingredient that they synthesized. That's
1: right. And and with taking it as a, as a whole uh, I don't want to use the word practice but yeah taking it as a whole product taking it as a whole thing you're getting the active ingredient that they're synthesizing. But more importantly You're getting all the other constituents that they haven't even looked at yet. You know, one of the reasons why Western pharmaceuticals are so powerful and also have so many side effects is they're pulling one thing out of the matrix of the thing that it naturally arises in. And so it can be very powerful, but the side effects can be devastating. If you're taking the whole herb itself – there's all these other constituents and alkaloids and all kinds of things that work synergistically with the active ingredient.
2: Yeah, so for me, that that's been one of the the best tools in my wheelhouse for for coping with this. And um, and it was a, a nice sense of it was a gotcha moment I had on my doctor that I, I really kind of sadistically enjoyed because <laughs> you know. Oftentimes, if you are that patient, you know, I'm, I am a non-compliant patient. I am a doctor's worst nightmare. I'm the, I'm the patient that has researched on the Internet, and they hate us. You know, there is this, oh, God, it's one of those that walks in the office, you know, and learning how to stand my ground has been critical and to go, I don't need a phase two clinical trial because I tried it and I felt better. And then they'll just tell you, oh, that's the placebo effect. And I'm like, okay, so what? So my brain is more powerful than your drugs. And you're saying that like it's a bad thing. I'm getting an effect, whether it's my brain or the supplements or the meditation, whatever. It's still working. So I'm happy with the things that I have a positive result from.
1: Yes. How long do you try something for before you decide, eh, this isn't really for me?
2: You know I think it's varied um I think there was a big chunk of my life here with this disease that I didn't necessarily i wasn't in a mental frame of mind where I wanted to feel better. you know I think that there can be sort of a wallowing that goes on. Or you just can't see past it to where a point where we're feeling better is even possible. So, you know, I would try things for a week or two, a month or two. Um, some things stuck around more than others. Like, you know, I don't use fluoridated toothpaste or whatever. But I think more than that, it was the mental shift I had to do on the emotional front.
1: Well, We keep, we keep coming back to that, don't we?
2: It helped the most, yeah. I'd say. It opened the door. It made everything else possible because without that... I was not ready to make the huge dietary shift. I was not ready to give away bread. I never met a loaf of sourdough I did not want to get up close and personal with. You know, I love bread and potatoes and the thought of living without those things is huge. But then, you know, even just a few weeks ago, I learned that there's probably a gluten intolerance aspect to MS that I had not been aware of before. And it's things like that that make it a little bit easier for me to stick to what I'm doing because it's like, no, if I do eat that wheat, you know, that's going to offset all the good that I feel. And because I feel so much better, it's, it's remotivates me to, to stick with it.
1: Yeah. You've, you've gotten a lot of traction on this disease and made some huge shifts in how you feel. I, I can see why it would be not exactly. Well, I, I I could see why you'd be unwilling to give up the progress that you've made.
2: Oh, totally. And you know, and, I, and I'm willing to put up with the looks of people looking at me funny, you know, at work or whatever, but they they keep asking me, "What are you doing? You look great." Ah. You know, I've lost 20 pounds. My boss told me I was glowing the other day. He's like, "You're just looking really great." And I was like, "Thanks." And then they see what I eat, you know, breakfast might be two hard-boiled eggs, some bacon and a hunk of cheddar cheese, and they cannot understand. They can't wrap their brain around how I've lost 20 pounds without sweating every day in the gym or starving. And I'm like, no, if I get a carb craving, I just eat some cheese and the fat takes care of that craving. It goes away. They're like, oh, my God, I, I could never give up carbs. And I'm like, I was right there with you.
1: Yeah, you understand yeah. it.
2: Yeah. But I'm like, just eat some fat. You'll feel better. You'll, you'll be fine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Fat makes everything better. You know, and I might reach a point where I don't need as much fat. Who knows? And, and that's the thing I think you were mentioning earlier, that it's so important to be able to roll with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be different from time to time to time to time.
2: Yeah, so I focus on, you know, immune building and trying to get uh, circulation going and, you know, things like that. And a move in, um, sleeping better. And I think, I think I mentioned this last time we were talking, what are the most unusual side effects are my dreams has have just been I was never a dreamer like I most of my life since childhood I, I don't dream and if I do dream I don't remember them very very rarely I'm dreaming almost every night now and my brain just feels lubricated
1: that you know it's really interesting I as you know I'm not sure if our listeners know I've been experimenting with the ketogenic diet myself um, partly because I'm reluctant to suggest things to my patients that I don't have experience with firsthand. One of the things that I've noticed as well is that my dream life has gotten much more vivid.
2: It's really curious. It's amazing, especially for me because I don't re- I, I don't have I never had that as an adult. I very 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 rarely dream, and so that is awesome and and just this feeling of. I get the sense that the fat is neuroprotective for me, like the way that I look at it. And I, I have no idea if it's scientifically valid or not, but that if my brain is made up of fat and cholesterol.
1: And it is, and 30% of it is.
2: Yeah. I'm giving my brain plenty of spackle with which to patch anything that my immune system decides to do. You know, <laughs> uh, I look at it as like a little Home Depot of supplies that they've got right there in case... It's needed so that they can patch that myelin super quick, you know, and I have no idea if that makes sense or not. But that's that's how I feel about it. And just the level of exuberance I have about life now, I I feel like there's this sort of life at the end of the tunnel. There's this light that I could, I don't know, be active again. Have a life again, have the energy to go out after work with friends and have a couple drinks and you know i've had to switch my i'm a gin and tonic girl now because low carb but mm-hmm. you know
1: it's, <laughs> <laughs> sorry beer's out now
2: beer's out yeah cider oh cider that's a hard one i miss my cider <laughs> yeah but it's worth it and um yes that's that's just been so exciting and and like i said you know i don't know if people might look at this story and say, oh, well, she's only been doing this a couple of months. You know, talk to me in five years, you know, but I think it's important to get that transitional story. We always hear the success story, you know, I cured my thing 10 years ago. Um, We don't always know how they got there Mm -hmm. and all the trial and error that can go along. But doing it this way has made me feel so empowered because this is the body that I get in this lifetime and I am responsible for it. And I can't in good conscience turn it over to other people who, who maybe don't have the same mindset as I do or have the same goals for what constitutes health. My neurologist's idea of health is, well, she's not numb today, so there we go. You know, but I get tired of the list of questions. If I go into the office and I'm like, "Wow, I feel really good," and he proceeds to ask me 20 questions involving, "Am I incontinent? Have I gone blind? Uh, you know, is any parts of me not working?" I just think, wouldn't I have mentioned that? You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I having the control over my health of doing the research, and and yes, it's hard to to funnel through all the the muck. But I think it's important to just find something that's interesting that you might want to pursue and try it. And even if it doesn't involve a lifestyle change, if you do enough of those little things, I think the big things become easier. And that's sort of the way I found it.
1: It certainly sounds like you have found some stepping stones from where you were to where you are. And some of them are really solid. You know, you can really rely on them. And some of them may be a little wobbly, but, but they got you to where you are now.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a path. It's Health a path. Health is a path.
1: It's a path, and you know, I love what you say about you're not all the way there, but you've come a distance, and you have a sort of a trajectory for where it appears that you're headed, and you're the person steering the ship.
2: And that's exciting, I think.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it's essential. Courtney, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we... Wind this thing down?
2: Mostly just that uh, to not get discouraged. You know, there's so much. This disease creates such a sense of fear, helplessness, and anger. Anger because there is nothing that you can point to clinically that says this is how you got it. There is no. Uh, gotcha aha moment where you can say okay that happened to me so therefore i have this disease there's this anger there's nobody to blame it was you know it's probably a perfect storm of of events that kind of happened that that caused this and this fear that can leave you locked into to helplessness because the worst case scenario for for diseases like this is awful yes you know
1: yeah, it's a it's a slow it's a long slow decline.
2: It is, and you know I remember when I first got diagnosed. I mean, the the kind of the mantra that kept me going through the dark times. You know, even though I wasn't doing a whole lot to fix it, but it was I was I'm too damn cute to end up in a wheelchair. You <laughs> know, <laughs> and it sounds incredibly vain, but if vanity gets you through, you know, whatever works. But I was I ha- always had this determination that no. You know, and for the first time in a long time, I feel like I have a chance to make this go away because I've learned the lessons that I needed to learn from it, and I have a sense of gratitude about it, which I never would have thought.
1: Gratitude towards have. your illness.
2: Yes, That's it taught me huge. And so, I think to open yourself up to those kind of epiphany moments where you realize not what the disease has done to you, but what it has done for you, I think can really open that door to healing. And so even if you're not ready to jump on you know, a keto or a gluten-free, but at least look at those options and go, is this something that I could tinker with and find out if it works for me? Because if you do nothing, you know what the prognosis is. It might take 20, 30 years to get there, but you know where you're going to end up I don't know where I'm going to end up. My future just got a whole lot more interesting. And so that's what I would just like to, to kind of leave for everybody is to not be afraid and to try to let that anger go and to take charge of it because, you know, it's the most important thing you're ever going to do. Wow.
1: Well, thank you.
2: Mm, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. <laughs>
1: hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.